Good evening and welcome to Christmas Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I'm Christmas Adam. Yay! It's hey. the festive season, so we are watching a slasher film. A lovely, um, happy, <laughs> light-hearted... Well-paced, well-thought-out. Mm -mm. Maybe, maybe not. It's um, true. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so before we get into that... Uh, Adam, let's start with you this week. Have you watched anything in the horror world? Well, I watched, um, obviously, it's Christmas, so we're starting the Christmas viewing. So I started this, I think this is the first time of what is going to become a tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but I watched um, Inside Number Nine, The Devil at Christmas. Fantastic. The, uh, How did I forget the, that? Exactly. And it's their Krampus episode, obviously. And um, Claire hadn't seen it because she assumed it was a scary Krampus episode. And I was like, no, it's something entirely different to that. But also it's just a good, it's actually just a really good, in a way it's a comedy because most of it is just about old TV and yeah. things that I would have sat and watched and own on DVD and have probably paid over the odds for <laughs> to, um, to watch sort of, you know, very stagey old sort of 70s horror stuff and things like that. Um, the interesting thing was, though, is that watching it this time around, I realised it's, like it's almost like a League of Gentlemen tribute because it's, it's kind of them paying tribute to the stuff that influenced them, mm. but in the way that it influenced each of them. So you've got Reese is playing a ridiculously over-the-top sort of character as the, the German housekeeper. Yeah. Oh, yes, I just Krampus. <laughs> and it's obviously like, how, how can I inflect this to make Steve laugh? <laughs> Steve Pemberton is definitely playing all his best shouty husband roles. What are you doing, Jennifer? Toby. <laughs> Put some clothes on. We're going. <laughs> and lots of seriousness like that. And then you've got the director's commentary of... Um, oh, bloody hell, what's his name? Um, uh, Derek Jacobi. But there's a part of me that feels that they've almost said, how are we going to write this lovely old director? What would Mark say? <laughs> it does have a sort of... I can hear Mark... There's certain lines on there I can feel... I can really hear Mark Gatiss saying... Yeah. Particularly, um, what was it? Uh, uh, he's a very good actor. I thought he, he, I always thought he had a Prospero in him, but he never pursued it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it felt, and also they do mention uh, a thing they've got an obsession with, which is eating an onion as if twere an apple. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, have you ever tried that? I haven't. I have, I possibly might have done actually. But, uh, you know, I can't imagine it ended well. No. I can only imagine it ended with agony. So, and I like onions. And I like raw onions. But not... Yeah. I just don't think Too that's the thing. Once. And I also, I also watched a... Um, not really horror-related, although it is kind of horror. It's, um, I watched a play that Nigel Neal did from, like, the sort of early 60s called The Crunch. Hmm. which was basically a really tense drama about um, a foreign government was going to let off a nuclear device in London and everyone's sort of rallying around trying to get this sorted and everything. 
And then the weirdest thing was, is that I had to look it up because I was convinced. I was like, right, everyone who's in this playing part of the uh, foreign government or sort of foreign ambassador, um, they are Asian, probably Chinese. Main guy, I'm convinced, was a white bloke dressed up, and it was a white bloke dressed up. Oh, dear. Um, but the weirdest thing was, is I was going through the cast list when I realised that uh, Olivia Hussey was in it as a small girl. Mm. And she is obviously the main character in Black Christmas, essentially. Yeah. So that was a weird one, and especially because I hadn't noticed it when I was going through researching and looking up what she else she'd been in. But somehow I skipped that and... <laughs> Yeah. And how old was she in this? In that? Um, oh, she would. She must have been. I don't know, like sort of eight, maybe eight or nine. But so, I think so she was. was she a good actor. She she's barely in it. She's li literally oh, okay. it's um, it's two children. They don't have any lines, and they're mm. taken out of the room by their mother a lot, which feels oh. so. Again, it feels a bit like we're back to the Devil of Christmas. So it's that, yeah. But um, but all in all, it was a, a bloody good story, and they, it had that usual Nigel Neal thing as well, where there's bits of it where you're just like, "Wow, that's someone's first episode of like a fucking six part series," and you've literally used that for like two minutes in something to get to the next bit. Nice, you know. There's some impressive sort of stuff going on in there. It's just proper rich. So yeah, Fantastic. and that's all the weather. Wonderful. Chris, have you watched anything in the last week? Yes, I have. Now, we could debate whether this is definitely horror. I think it definitely has elements of horror in it. It's, and it's something I thought I should watch for many years. I don't know if we've ever talked about it. Uh, it was 2001 Space Odyssey. Ah. Uh, we probably did mention it at one point because I know Lee said how much he hates Clockwork Orange. Uh, I yeah. hate a clockwork, and I hate 2001 almost as much, but for totally Fair different. Enough, almost and, as and much. You, and you don't like The Shining. It's really a cool no. problem with you, isn't it? So. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do. I have a massive beef with him, unfortunately. It's terrible. I feel like no. a real curmudgeon because we got through 100 episodes of me saying how much I love almost everything we've discussed, and then I hated The Omen. Well, I, I mm. disliked The Omen. I hated Suspiria. Um Spoiler alert, I might not be totally on board with this evening's movie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and now you've brought up 2001. Anyone who's just started listening is like... This year has gone downhill for you. Does Lee just hate yeah. everything? People are going to start thinking I'm in some kind of lockdown <laughs> meltdown where my brain has just switched off and I hate everything and everybody. That's not the case. Oh, I no, I can, I can assure people that you've always hated everyone and everybody when we were free <laughs> yeah. and able to go out in the pub. In many ways, that actually triggered it because you were allowed to go out and see people. <laughs> and you hated them. I did. And in, and in fairness, they were cunts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry so, to derail you, Chris. Anyway, yes, so, so 2001. You must get to choose the next the next uh, New Year's special by Lee, just to make sure you get something you like. Actually, we but have yeah, so, got one more in before Christmas, and Adam has already put in oh. a very good request for that. So, uh, I, yeah, I think we're pretty safe with that one with Lee. Yeah. I think we, we might be back on track for him, bless him. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Chris. But yeah, yeah. So, I, I guess this was one of the biggest early films that had a computer AI that goes wrong. Um, mm. I don't actually know when it was released, I didn't look into it too much, but, but one of the reasons eight, I, I believe, so yeah, so that's that is pretty early. 
Mm. Um, so then, yeah, I thought they did show that really well. I, I really liked dialogue throughout. Um, you know, uh, not so much when when they were uh, apes, but you know, <laughs> after that, <laughs> it improved a lot. But I got so I'm not sure I fully understood it all, but it appeared to be in uh, it was like three major sections, might be even four, um, mm. and something to do with the obelisk. Um, every time sort of moving on evolving somehow affecting the, the creatures yes yeah, essentially the monolith is there to trigger monolith, yeah. an evolution mm, okay so so yeah with the apes learning tools which they use as weapons and yeah um and then yeah finally i think like so he turned into a i'm assuming most people probably have watched this or going to or won't ever watch it but I was going to say, 1968, it, I think spoilers have probably gone out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Bad news, everyone. Um, Darth Vader's his dad as well. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so he turns into some sort of a baby thing at the end and comes back yeah, to the Earth. And, yeah, so I didn't exactly get it, but, you know, it's um, it was definitely an, an artistic film, I suppose, to try and make you think. And, um, My understanding did is... My understanding is is that that is the star child, and it's meant to be yeah, the next assumed. stage of human evolution. And he's travelling mm. back to Earth to bring that to them. They yeah. don't make it clear. I'll be honest. And mm -hmm. also, apparently, apparently, the baby is meant to look sort of like alien. But to be mm, honest, yeah. it's an animatronic baby, so it it's, kind of. I just thought, oh it, yeah, it's just yeah. Looks alien because you can't really recreate a baby. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is but, true. I mean, two, 2001 looks incredible. It features Leonard Rossiter in a mm. very key moment, which I'm very pleased about. I hear that there's something going on on, on Jupiter, in one of the moons around Jupiter. Do you know what's going on, Miss Jones? Is that, um, he's from Rising Dam, yes. Yeah. Yes. We, again, it's one of those weird ones, though, where you've got someone like um, Stanley Kubrick and he keeps using Leonard Rossiter because Leonard Rossiter is a fucking great actor. There's no yeah, question about yeah. that. But it is also, you're sitting there going, is that Rigsby? <laughs> you know, for people who were sitting Rick in the audience, face. Saying, yeah, yeah, some people sitting there going, Is that Richie Perry? What the f not quite as grumpy, no, not quite as grumpy. But I, I mean, I'll be honest, 2001, I will every so often I will watch it, but essentially mm. for me, it's a really good episode of The Twilight Zone that mm. unfortunately they put like an hour and a half of silence before it <laughs> and then had a trip at the end. But the bit... Yeah, yeah that, that is... was... It is like, well, it's a normal film mm. part. Yeah, but the bit with Hal is the interesting bit. Yeah, and yeah, the though. rest all just and, feels sandwiched around it and yeah. more than anything. As you say, and, the Hal and, bit is fantastic. I think it was also because at the time... The whole thing was is that I mean, obviously, we've all come to it from the future, essentially. Yes, and we yeah. are used to model shots and shit looking good. Mm. You mm. know, I mean, obviously, you've got like the like Star Wars, the the original Star Wars, A New Hope, as kind of a benchmark of effects that people had to match up mm. to from that point onwards. Yeah. But for the people who were seeing that originally, because you got to remember, it's like 1968. It's coming out roughly around the same sort of time that soldiers are fighting giant ants mm. you, know, you know or people are fighting 
iguanas that have been blown up to look bigger against cavemen and stuff like that. And then suddenly this fucker comes along and it's like, did they film this in space? <laughs> they yeah. must have filmed this in like, space because yeah. it looks all proper Yeah, no, space. it's seriously good. I, I was shocked mm. at how good it still looks. It, um, oh, and the and they didn't try to do too much, it seems. They did it, no. you know, exactly as good as, you know, it could have done. And it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously it's got like a lot of the, the mechanics of it is right, but they basically went to NASA and said, mm. you know, Basically, Arthur C. Clarke and, and Stanley Kubrick go to NASA and ask them what they think, and that's <laughs> that's a pretty hefty combo of people. So it's yes. gonna, you know, it's going to work. But I still maintain it's not. I think just it's because of its loss of that spectacle. Mm. It's only really the story part, the uh, break, Hell's breakdown, which is the interesting mm. part of the yeah. movie. And also, I'm sure, I don't know, did you watch it because Dave Bowman is in Black Christmas? No, but I should have done. Dave <laughs> Bowman, and no, here's the, here's the shocking part. Dave Bowman is Peter in Black mm-hmm. Christmas, the wanker boyfriend. Yeah. Who, yeah. And, and the main character of 2001. Yeah. Mm, that's oh, Dave. Wow. But what I can't fathom is he does look younger in Black Christmas, even yes. though it's like five years later. He looks. He's, he's got. He's actually he's got longer hair and. I know. The best part is when he did Black Christmas, he was fucking thirty-eight, so he shouldn't have been playing a student. But he still does look younger than he does in two thousand and one. Because mm. in two thousand and one, he's an astronaut, so he's a grown-up. Yeah, <laughs> and especially when they age him at the end. Yeah, and in this one, he's just a. Knob cheese with David Warner's hair. Oh, he's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking to Dave, though, I, um, this has, you know, resolved something for me because when I was about eight, I had an Amiga and we had um, some sort of sound production application on it and we had a few samples because like, I'd never heard voice samples before and mm. one of them was, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. And you could raise the pitch and lower it, so I was just going crazy with that. So I did, like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid <laughs> I can't do that. And I realised they actually do that in the film really well. I was like, oh, yeah. that's good. I, actually, I could have done this for you. That the, the whole bit with Daisy, where he sings mm. Daisy as he's basically yeah. having I mean, and that is that is also someone sampled the shit out of 2001 for an amazing trance track years ago. Mm. And all the way through it, it just keeps repeating. And it's very good. Uh, in, yeah. in an altered state of consciousness because it just keeps repeating Dave my mind is going mm. over and over again and in the end you feel yes yes it is, yes, it is, it is. <laughs> but the daisy thing was because that was the first voice synthesizer mm. on a computer that, that I think was like only about three or four years before they made the film and yeah. they got a computer to sing daisy so that's why that's that is good. Again. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Actually, so yeah, everything you've said has added to it. So I, I'm impressed. I thought it's it's definitely worth a watch, but it's not one that I return to often. And no. I'll be on, and, and I'll be honest, it is one where I have thought I'm going to watch Leonard Rossiter, and then I'm going to skip to the to the bits with Hal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, I won't be rushing back, but I'm definitely glad I've watched it. Mm. Fantastic. Well done. Um, 
I have been trying to get into the Christmas spirit. Um, so I have watched nothing horror related. Sorry to let you all down, gentlemen. Um, yeah, I've just been watching all of the Christmas episodes of The Simpsons, um, <laughs> Blackadder's Christmas Carol. Um, yeah. yeah. And just generally smashing through Elf and all those classic movies. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I have been Christmassy, but I haven't been horror-related, so I do apologise. Um, so. Um, just to pause you there, if yeah. you want to add an element of horror to that, Claire has just told me that Elf is 18 years old. What? No. Elf is 18 years old. Oh, how am I still alive? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Claire, for spoiling Christmas. Yeah, I know. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> she does um, this. She drops out these little nuggets now and then. But that, that's that's something we're going to see a doctor about. But she also <laughs> says things. <laughs> uh, so talking of spoiling Christmas, um, this is a film that none of us had seen up until this point. Uh, but we have all now watched the original 1974 Black Christmas. Um, Adam, would you like to start us off on this? I would. Um, right. On reflection, I think I think I enjoyed this. As I was watching it, especially because the, the copy I've got doesn't have subtitles, which made parts of it very difficult to follow mm. um, um, I, th- I think I enjoyed it but it is kind of all over the place and kind of not as explanatory as I assumed it would be Yes, and I'm also very pleased that I will say I like anything that subverts my expectations mm. and this did that but not in not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's like, oh, it's an original slasher, but actually really for a slasher movie, quite odd and sophisticated and not quite as, um, not as they become. Yeah. You know, I mean, something even, I mean, obviously we covered Halloween very recently and, and yeah, that is the prototypical slasher. Especially so, so was this before Halloween? This. Then? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yep. This yeah. was yeah Halloween seventy eight mm. or seventy seven, and um, but yeah. So overall, overall, I think I enjoyed it. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. Hmm, I like that about it, and things like that. So it's kind, it's weird. It's grown on me, but um, yeah. On first sort of on first sort of purview, there was an element of what the fuck. <laughs> and also, and also, things that you don't quite gather. For example, I had to look up what Mrs. Mac was, like the old girl. Oh, the house mother. Yeah, house, yeah. which yeah, was something. We don't get I that. Yeah, mm. so I didn't know what was happening. It was like, has an old woman come round? Is she a mature student? What the? F-? So yeah, so there's elements of that side to it. But overall, I was overall I was nicely. Yeah, like I say, I was nicely surprised because it was better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Because I think I was I was going original slasher movie. It's going to be all the cliches that are now bored, and it does have some of the cliches in there, obviously. But yeah, I was sort of like oddly, oddly surprised. I guess sort of, 
elements. They weren't of it, yeah. cliches though. Then, mm, if exactly. this was, but it, yeah. but it is that so, thing of you go back to something and you can't help but groan. Yeah, yeah. Even even when it's the original, mm. you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I yeah, I agree. Um, uh, before I launch into it, Chris. Uh, so, what did you make of it? Because I know, obviously, you haven't said. It's all right, Adam. I can see you laughing. I'm not going to do what I did last week and just <laughs> stay quiet for ages and then scream at you all at the top of my voice for 20 minutes about how you're wrong. Um, we are prepared. <laughs> um, Chris, what did you uh, make of this? So, I would agree pretty much with everything Adam said. Um, one thing that did throw me off a bit was you said it's not a comedy. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, they're doing a pretty good job of making this quite funny and lighthearted mm. for not being a comedy. And of course, as it gets worse and worse, um, you realise it's definitely not a comedy, but they did do a really good job. And, and uh, sort of halfway through, maybe just before that, I was, I was sort of thinking, I kind of would almost like this film to not have any of the horror aspect and then it would still actually be a pretty good Christmas fun mystery I don't know exactly what the mystery would be if someone wasn't killing but you know <laughs> everything surrounding the horror was was just great like the the cast fantastic the characters you know it's just yeah really enjoyable to watch and then it was a bit painful when you knew what was happening and I did quite like that it wasn't too graphic that that did help mm. um so you could you knew what was going on but yeah I think that would have made it worse for me. Um, I'd really liked when John Saxon, the lieutenant, came in. He was from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah. But he was playing a, a similar character, but still great character. Mm. Very He's got enjoyable. a copper's face. He has got yeah, a copper's face. He, he just does <laughs> that's, the job that's it. perfectly. He's doomed to play coppers. That's it. Yeah. But his, his manner is fantastic as well. Like, you know, just, yeah. So, so I thought it all worked so well. And yeah, in the comedy aspects, like with the, as you said, the house mother, what was her name? Oh, Mrs. Matt, where she's. Mac. Yeah. Yes, she's hiding alcohol everywhere. <laughs> she is the Donald Pleasance of this movie. Yes. Like, if uh, there yeah, had been a male character, it so would good. have been Donald Pleasance in, uh, in yeah. Deathline. Like, yeah. That's that's again what I got from it is funny enough because I was saying I was saying that about I've always, I'm I'm going to do it I'm going to set up an Instagram page and I'm going to call it Funny Coppers of Filmland <laughs> dedicate dedicate it to the ridiculous comic relief police that pepper <laughs> horror so it's going to be um, the guy from Killer Clowns in Outer Space yeah. obviously fucking Donald Pleasance the the two coppers from American uh, American Werewolf in London. Yeah, and mm. uh, and obviously Doctor Vibes. Yeah, but, I was gonna. Yeah, <laughs> but this this lot definitely go in there because you've got. I mean, especially when the bit where, and again, this is something that I really enjoyed about it was the fact that it would just sort of like you would ramble in. It was like this has someone's taken a lot more care than you would expect for a slasher movie, mm. and everyone yeah. and actually creating fleshed out characters that you understand mm. rather than the sort of what you get later on of the sort Head of and fodder basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and they're always it's the roles isn't it it's the jock it's the uh mm. the promiscuous girl it's the stoner or whatever whereas this you know, everyone's kind of women in this pretty much mm. and i think it actually i mean you know speak 
speaking as a as a heterosexual white male, so obviously I will be speaking for women everywhere. Um, <laughs> but the, it, the characterization felt very real, yeah, and sort mm. of honest. And also, one th- and like you said, Chris, about like the levels of restraint. There's no, there's no real sexualization in this. In terms no, of like, yeah. there's no, there's no shower sequence. There's no, no sex. Everyone's sort of everyone's dressed for winter. You mm. know, oh, no one's no, oh, sort of like wandering Kidder. around in bikini or whatever. That was the only thing. Margot Kidder in that very light top that she had undone almost down to her navel when she come bouncing into the very first scene. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, it's winter. Everybody else is wearing like great big jumpers and coats. But I suppose she was pissed. So, you know, yeah, you've got a beer jacket it's that, on. It's fine. She's got that lovely warming feeling from inside that comes from being permanently smashed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although there was none, well, you know, relatively none, as you say, sexualization. But there was arguably something worse once you understand what that first phone call was actually yeah. all about. And you start to yeah. realise, yeah, the truth of what's going on. And, yeah, it's quite hard-hitting. Um, it is. Uh, like, like, even with the swearing. I mean, that must have been pretty out there. I, I thought that as well. I was like, they're using that word very liberally, yeah. and we're only 10 minutes in. Well, not even. We're certainly made me sit up and take notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I th- weirdly enough, I kept, I misheard it as not... Um, pretty pink cunt but pretty big cunt and I was like is he sort of what just almost big <laughs> you know, I was pretty big so yeah, pretty big yeah you don't really need extra confusions yeah so uh, exactly no. in this, in, uh, so I think that might have been that might have been a problem is that I couldn't hear a lot of Billy's amazing mm. phone calls apparently um, Billy the, the, they call him Billy because obviously he goes Billy and Agnes. And um, I think it's, the, but we never saw an Agnes in it. No, and you and, presume, and I wasn't entirely sure do. that he was. See, now I've got the same problem. There are bits where there was definitely two people making those noises. Yeah, uh, it, because they were happening at the same time. And I was like, do you know what? Even if he's got multiple personalities, he hasn't got multiple mouths. So mm-hmm. this was my. Mm-hmm. One of my problems with it, I was like, that is a physical impossibility. Unless he's recorded himself on a recorder and he's shouting at the same time as playing his own voice back. But he didn't seem to be that good at holding shit together. So I don't think he was that far advanced, really. He didn't get caught. This is true. Um, true. I mean, admittedly, (laughs) you are talking about a police force who spent half the film. Yeah. I mean, like, like, that's what I was... Yeah, that was the bit that got me, was just where... For no good reason, they just bring in that guy who's had a shotgun to the arse. Yeah. Where the that for? Through. He was on my property and he's just shot him in the arse. And it's like, now, I want to, this is something that I thought would, in, this is what's going to interest me. Lee, did you look up anything to do with this, particularly who the director is? No. Right. I'm going to stun you now because oh the director of this film, Bob Clark, um, now he's done some shit, right? <laughs> so, um, but he's responsible for children shouldn't play with dead things, which is kind of a zombie classic. 
um, Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead of Night. He did a film called She-Man, a story of fixation in 1967, in which a, uh, what was it? I have to look that up. Um, a soldier is blackmailed into taking estrogen by a transvestite so that sounds like that might deal with a lot of issues in a in a really sensitive manner i can see know. why this film was probably never had a dvd release and nor yeah i don't think he got now, <laughs> but hold fire he also directed and I, this definitely comes out in the movie he directed porkies and porkies 2 oh really and I think that that's the uh, certainly like the frat humour sort of side of things. Mm. Yeah. Or like where she... But then he didn't put loads of boobs in it that he definitely could have done and chose not to. And it's, uh, like, yeah. I, I've not seen Porky's, but isn't it a like teenage boob comedy? It's, it's basically American Pie, but with actual nudity rather than hinted at bullshit. Um, <laughs> that's interesting but, then. But also, Murder by Decree. No. What? Yeah. And A Christmas Story. Piss off. No. Straight up, mate. Wow. And I was like, that, and it's just such a bizarre resume. I guess it's, it's the ones at either end. So it's Porky's and Murder by Decree. Like, I yeah. couldn't put those two films together in any way, shape or form. Exactly. Has he not done that with this film? <laughs> yeah. And, but that's the thing is, I think that it just goes to prove Bob Clark is obviously very good, but in a chameleonic way. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, I suppose a lot of the time, especially because we're horror nuts, so we are gra- we gravitate to people who direct horror. Joe Dante, um, John Carpenter, yeah. Wes Craven, you know, and so on and so forth. Whereas Bob Clark is an example of someone who has done, who has had a career of movies not just specializing in horror or specializing in one thing or another and everything else like that because like murder by decree does have sinister bits murder by decree has funny bits and it's sort of like again like you know and like i say a christmas story is you know i mean his most recent include baby geniuses super babies baby geniuses too and the karate dog um so you know there were I think the poor fucker was getting um, some some right old gristle at the end. Um, he How died. Can you get a man who made the original Christmas Story, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, and they get him to make a film called Karate Dog? I know. Oh. Yeah, but then that's the trouble. Is you know, uh, but then after directors I just mentioned couldn't even get fucking arrested for it, like for you. <laughs> <laughs> so at least Bob Clark was getting offered. He was getting offered shite, but at least he was getting offered. True. Um, and he died in 2007 at the age of 67 uh, when him when him and his 21-year-old son were in a head-on car crash with a drink driver. Oh, mm. my God. And him, him and his son were both killed. So, you know, quite a sort of shocking ending to the poor yeah. sod. But again, like I say, as soon as I was looking this up and I'm like... Murder by Degree, Polkies. <laughs> but then, but then, weirdly watching the film, I got it. Yeah, because even think because even the the bit, the obvious sort of bit where she sees the eye through the crack in the door, mm-hmm. isn't it, it? Am I right? Isn't that in Murder by Decree where they keep doing the close up on the Ripper's eye and it's just black? Yeah, I think you could be right. 
And so I think I've only even seen if, it once, but I think mm. it like, definitely rings a bell. So I think they're all sort of like there's bits transposing here and there, and it's like, oh well, that you know the joke about where she said, I mean, Margot Kidder, how helpful you are when your friend has gone missing. I'm going to give you fellatio as the phone number for the fucking sorority house. Um, but even that feels like porkies yeah. or something mm. along those lines, but especially when you go in there and that cop is just pissing himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, you get that great element where you've got Nash, who is a pillock, who keeps <laughs> screwing up. Does he get to be a hero at the end? No, he fucks that up. Yeah, <laughs> and that feels in character. You don't suddenly Nash shouldn't suddenly come good. Nash is a fucking idiot. Yeah, <laughs> is it? Yeah, he should but, be but doing. It, but how annoying that she just you know the one thing he says to her: don't do, don't ask questions. Of course, she asks questions. Yeah, and then he says, "Get out of the house. Whatever you do, don't yeah. go upstairs." What does she do? Get a poker. Goes upstairs. Yeah. To be yeah. fair, I was hoping she was going to get it because her accent was winding me up something chronic. Like you were saying, Adam, with the um, uh, uh, not having subtitles, she went upstairs at the beginning to get Claire. Very mm. common name. I know Claire's. You're sitting in a room with one right now. It's a fairly common name. When <gasps> she was, I am. <laughs> when she was knocking on her door and calling her name, I couldn't work out what she was saying. She was going, Claire. And I was like, what is she fucking? It wasn't until somebody else said, did you get any any response when you knocked on Claire's door? I was like, oh, it's Claire she was trying. She's, I've checked her, I've just checked it out now. So she is Argentinian. She's obviously trying to do a British accent. Well, she was Argentinian. She's Argentinian. Her mum was English. um, And she moved to London when she was seven. So, so she speak is... English properly, but it just every time now and again she just. I think you mean. I think you mean she could sound English properly, not speak. Yeah, sorry, no. So that was what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she sounded English, but then every now and again she'd have a word that just didn't. I was like, "What word did she just say?" And like, I yeah, just... I, I I had to look it up because her accent was because it was like because you know when you get people who are so posh they're practically disabled. <laughs> yes, I do know exactly what you mean. Yes, you know, it's like I was still talking. The man was like that, standing at a tower. <laughs> really, was he? Okay. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was very, but like you say, I think it is just sort of like the fact that it's that sort of mixture where she's probably got some um, like Spanish pronunciation of yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, no, so, so her accent is quite unusual. Yeah, it was really jarring. And I, I could definitely have done with subtitles for some of it. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a shame that it didn't have subtitles because I would have liked to have seen more because I was it, obviously, weirdly enough, again, it wasn't a film that had a lot of. But again, my expectation of it was, oh, this is going to have really loud bits after really quiet bits yeah, and so on and so forth. And it doesn't really do that. Um, and, um, but yeah, I think that. I, I think you're right. I think, the, I think the thing is because it's definitely a slasher film, we've watched it with modern eyes. And I think because mm. it was so early on in slasher, it doesn't do. So it's, it isn't paced like a slasher film. The, the pacing on this, I kind of struggled with because there's a kill five minutes in then there's nothing for another 35 minutes and then nothing mm. again for another 25. 
And also, although there's five or six, we don't know at the end, um, kills mm. made by the serial killer, two or three of them are done off screen. So you yeah. don't even see the kills. Um, whereas I think, I think you're right, Adam. I think what happened is these films started coming out and then by the 80s, once slashers became a big thing, they were like, right, we need 70 minutes because we're going to do 10 minutes of setup and 10 minutes at the end. So we need 70 minutes. So we need seven people so we can kill one off every 10 minutes and keep yeah. it flowing. And this didn't have that. So you had an initial kill and then you just had a load of stuff that I didn't really care about going on for ages. Um, and I was... See, so I didn't mind that. Bored. Yeah, so, I was quite enjoying that that pacing between the kills. See, I, I, I did like the fact that you got characters mm. like in so, much, in so much as you got people with sort of lives going on I th and weirdly enough and I was actually uh, it was the oddest thing I mean obviously if you're listening to this we assume you've watched it so spoilers spoilers oh, the fucking yeah yeah but the final sort of twist the one thing that usually happens in a slasher film is you either know what's going on from the start or you almost get, say, like Psycho. You know where they have just that mm. weird bit at the end of Psycho where it's the psychoanalyst? Yeah. Like, like explaining Psycho's it. Yeah. And, going, and it's because of his mother. His <laughs> mother was the reason that he stabbed a lot of women. Something to do with minges. Minges. <laughs> he didn't like them, but he was attracted to them. In a same way that you would be with a polka dub dark and it's sort of yeah i think i've gone into shallow at that point <laughs> but i but so so usually and also it doesn't follow again because it's a slasher it doesn't follow police procedural sort of things no it's not a whodunit in a curious way because all the way through you are sort of like hey, it's claire's dad it's like the, the in the film, not my Claire's dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, it could have potentially like, oh, been oh, a few people. Yeah. It's Claire's dad. Oh, it's Peter. Oh, and no, that can't yeah. be Peter. Yeah, it's definitely Peter. It's definitely that cunt mm. Peter. I didn't yeah. think it was anybody. I was like, it's that weird prick who's hiding in the loft. At no point did I think yeah. anything other than the weird guy who's living in the loft. Mm. Where he was eating, I don't know. Where he was going to the toilet and wasn't leaving any smell that anyone in the rest of the house could notice, I was unaware of. But I think he did just pretty much live in that loft, come down. I, but that was that was what we, we were shown. So, yeah, it certainly looked like it was someone else. Um, but then the, the one bit I wasn't sure, why did Peter smash the window? To the get end? him, I think he thought, because obviously... Seemed, yeah. I mean, I basically he broke in so that she would kill him and make a nice twist to the story. Well, but also, yeah. But also, I think Peter was, in a way, is Peter still on the well, I'll prove to her that I'm the knight in shining armour and then she'll definitely want to have a kid with me yeah, because I rescued right. her from this nutbag. Because, again, everything's about Peter. And Tell uh, you what is about Peter. He clearly wants to be in fucking Goblin, smashing up a piano with a mic yeah. stand. I was like, oh, it's Suspiria all over again. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. When he was doing that, when he was doing the... Um, piano recital and it was obviously all meant to be sturm and drang and everything else like that i've listened to i listened to some 
challenging music. And I can honestly say he was playing a lot of old wank. And you know um, what? I thought the same. I always do that. Whenever they like piano is a beautiful sounding thing. But whenever it's someone who's like this person is a piano master and they play it, it sounds like nonsense. To be honest, going back to Blackadder's Christmas Carol, after it finished and there was those three guys sat there, I just wanted them to go, utter crap. Because, frankly, yeah, Peter, I can see why she doesn't want to have a kid with you. You can't play for Toffee, mate. I could have done that. I'd have put two cats on the piano. Same effect. Exactly. No one. It does sound like he'd been awake for three days because he played like an absolute tosser. Oh, and it's, but also I love the whole thing was, was uh, well, how do you think the recital went after you've dropped that bombshell on me? And it's like, oh, get over yourself. Are you <laughs> smashing my baubles, you prick? Get out of my house. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Part of me was like, it would have been hilarious if he'd done that and had electrocuted himself because he smashed one of them bulbs. And I was like, that's yeah. an old fashioned bulb. That'll blow your arm mm. off if you touch yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, the geezer in the lost, lucky the place didn't fucking burn down. You know, <laughs> But so, so... You're saying about where they're going to piss and everything and how he's eating. I'll tell you mm. what, the soundproofing in that place is fucking incredible. Though. Yeah, I thought because that as well. The shit, you could, the shit they apparently could not hear, including someone in a bedroom on the phone. And it's like, if you ring someone in the next room, you can hear them through the wall as much <laughs> yeah. as you can hear them on your phone. <laughs> and it's like, and, and, and there's him there doing that, his fucking Mike Yarwood impression. Like, is that hold up? Fucking once. <laughs> and no one noticed. <laughs> but yeah, I guess they, they were trying to show that he was doing the murders when other loud things were happening, like the yeah. crow singing. But yeah, it's just oh, but That to me was beautiful, though. That's the one thing I liked about this film was the element of cruelty in a weird way that it's like, here's a Christmas film. Right, here's some cherubs yeah. singing Christmas carols while a drunk woman is stabbed to death with a glass fucking unicorn. Yeah. A prominent physician, gentlemen, a prominent physician has been <laughs> pinioned by a brass <laughs> unicorn that's been catapulted across a busy London street. Words fail me. They simply <laughs> fail me. Also, it has to be said, Barb, like Margot Kidder, that is a lot of glass ornaments to put by your bed if you're that much of a fucking drunk. Yeah, I thought that as well. I wouldn't balance a load of glass baubles if I was a, like a, a, a damaged alcoholic in the way that she is. In but it is funny because you've got both sides of the coin. Like, you've got her who's kind of obviously struggling and quite... You know, she's clearly an alcoholic and it's affecting her life. And then you've got mm. the old woman who's like, oh, this is what she's going to be like when she's older. This is just a carry-on caper. Like, she, it, yeah. it's just about where she's got bottles hidden, but she's doing all right, you know. Yeah, she was like, it was like you got Peter Butterworth in, in drag all of a sudden. <laughs> or something like that. She really was. And shockingly enough, that woman has six credits on IMDb. No. Because she was mainly a stage actress, but she was like one of my favourite bits of the whole fucking great. film. Totally similarly, mine. Similarly, the guy who plays Claire's dad... I thought he was great, and I was convinced I'd seen him in loads of stuff. Hmm. And I'm now thinking, no, because I'm kind of getting him mixed up with Frank Oz <laughs> and um, the Doctor out of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> it's like that same sort of like just a, a balding, pressy sort of guy. But I think, yeah, there was, yeah, so there's so much in it 
at the same time, which is quite nice because it's not the one. It's not an ex, it's an extreme film mm. in a proper way, but everything is realistic in that it's not extreme. Everything is not fucking deathly horrible. Yeah, real life is going on, and Billy is in the attic, slowly killing all your friends. Yeah, well, it's like with the 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 thirteen year old girl who gets killed in the park, who mm. clearly we assume has nothing to do with this so it is a bit of a red herring that it's happening so for the police they just right well we've got a, a killer and a missing person these two have got to be linked but actually i don't think they're linked at all and th- that was the other thing i liked i was really pleased that they didn't show us that girl exactly mm. um, they didn't need to yeah there was, there was a, a, yeah. you saw Restraint. four people's reactions and they were so upset by it i was like please don't show us what the, what's happened and the fact they didn't i was like do you know what that's restraint and i appreciate that i want yeah, to except... the sorority girls die but i'm glad we didn't see the child yeah but except except for the phone call of her dying yeah of him impersonating her dying yeah I... and it, or again has he taped it like you said well, about, so like, it sound... yeah no it's, like it did sound like you could actually hear some noises from someone else. I, I assumed it was. See, because the thing is, it's uh, from what I gather, because this is this sort of leads on to what happens at the end, is it's meant to... Uh, they say that he makes a call every time he kills. So before anyone in the house dies, they get the phone call, and that's after mm. he's killed the girl in the park. Okay. Who's found in the park. Then, they, then he kills Claire, they get another phone call... He kills. Um, I don't think there's one when he kills Mrs. Mac. Mrs. Well, Mac no, there is actually. Yeah. yeah. And so at the end of it, when she's just been left in the house alone, and then we realise that he is still there, that Peter wasn't yeah. the killer. Yeah. Um, and then, and then it then comes to outside, phone call. and the phone starts ringing. Mm. Yeah. So the implication is that he has killed her, mm. even though you don't see it or you don't. Okay. We well, again. Know that for certain. See, now that makes it even worse because that then puts the total... So if he killed... Because I, I thought Peter was a possible... He might have killed her or she might have killed her in defence thinking he was the killer. Mm. So we've now got six or possibly seven kills and three of those are now all done off screen. Mm. Well, and, and the old guy, Claire's dad, might have died from shock unless they get into the hospital one time. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's true, yeah. I just felt there was a lot of... Sorry. Sorry, man, go on. I was going to say, a lot of the kills, like, I appreciate that, you know, you want the the fact that the cop outside is actually dead to be a Mm. bit of a surprise. So I get that you don't see him being killed. But, like, um, uh, when Phil gets it Mm. and you see her just go into the room and all of a sudden the door slams, I was like, we should definitely have seen that. That should have been a kill, and that would have broken up the timeline as well, and given us more of a uh, more of a, a paced out feel to the kills rather than it being the way it was. But see, this could be something to do with expectations, because bear in mind, I watched this after watching two thousand one Space Odyssey, so this was filled full of action. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this was me, too yeah. much for me. Compared, this, yeah. this must this must have been like <laughs> this must have been like a week of salads followed yeah. by a fucking bowl of tang fastics, man. It was. <laughs> you, you must be raging with colours and sugar and eating. It was a full-on <laughs> experience. Yeah. There was laughter. There was crying. It was. Yeah. The, you'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll hurl. 
as they said about Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I do. I, I really appreciated that level of restraint, especially because mm, yeah, yeah. The the age of the movie and to a certain extent the look of the film. I yeah. kind of expect because obviously this is a year. This is a year after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and although Texas mm. Chainsaw Massacre doesn't, um, it's not gory, but you do see the, a the lot hint of gore, gore is yeah is and, there, and there's no doubting mm. the extremity. Yeah, it. whereas this is really quite, it's restrained and also, in a curious way, I think that it makes the you know, it does bring the characters out. Mm, yeah, definitely. But every everyone in it, and that kind they of get a chance a to do something, mm. or they get. I mean, it's like, but also, I just love the fact that there's no, there's no superhero in it, because in a weird way, the one person who does anything, Jess, yeah, but she does the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, she. As much as I was hoping she was going to put his fucking head in, yeah, like within about 10 minutes of him being on screen. But there's no, do you know what I mean? There is no final girl in that there's no final confrontation with the killer. So, and nothing that isn't that is unusual mm. in slasher terms or what would be slasher terms. Really, I think this needs to be described as a proto slasher, yeah, in so much as like it's like you know. It's like 50s garage rock as punk, where it's that same sort of thing of you. It's kind of the same thing. The, the potential is there. But there is yeah. something else. Yeah, there's a lot else. There's a, more to it going on that you can find different yeah. from, mm. from what it is. And but was, yeah. was any of this deliberate in order to, you know, not have it banned or... I don't know. I'm sure that it was more accessible somehow. Well, apparently one thing that they came up with, the studio said that they were unhappy with the um, ambiguity of the ending. Mm. I mean, it, it seems fairly safe to say that Jess has been left alone, comatose, in a house with a fucking maniac. We kind of know what happens to Jess. Yeah. Unless there's some sort of, you know, for some miracle reason. But apparently the studio sort of like said, oh, no, that's far too, you know, far too ambiguous and everything. And uh, Bob Clark was what do you want then? And they suggested that she gets left, like, they leave um, uh, Chris there, the um, Claire's boyfriend, hmm. would be left there with her to keep an eye on her. Jess wakes up, we won't tell them about what happened to... Um, what's the girl that he keeps to Agnes? Oh, yeah. Mm. So, he, so, and then it was going to be, oh my God, Chris was the killer all along. And it's. Except yeah, that but, wouldn't work. No, it doesn't work. That'd and be Bob terrible. basically said, no, it doesn't work. Because I love again, the ambiguity. One of the, one, mm. one of the only things I liked about it is, is it got to the <laughs> end and I was like, oh shit, we don't know how this ends. I was like, yeah. I've not enjoyed this film. There's a lot about it I've not enjoyed. It, and like you say, Adam. I appreciate it's one of those films I appreciate what it's done and the fact mm. that it's set up slasher films. Although I'm not a huge slasher fan, I appreciate that. Not really, no. Um it's it's a fun genre. Um yeah, and I think it did a good job of setting that up. And I loved the fact that the calls coming from inside the house. I thought that was great. Um mm. 
uh, yeah, and the fact that at the end it is just left that he's still in the house and anything could happen. And I, that's one of the things about yeah. it that definitely stands in its favour for me. And I think it'd make it a classic because it's yeah. such an unusual end. It is. And also the thing, the thing is as well, is that again, like I said, if it was going to be like a police procedural or something like that, that's then, it's not a whodunit. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, because there is no way of knowing who done it because Billy done it. We know yeah. who did it. We just never see him <laughs> or, you know, and we never find out why. Yeah, but and but also I like the fact that then it's because that works like it. That is a bit Twilight Zone or a bit of a sort of, for want of a better phrase, like a joke, or like a twist in the tail sort of thing, because you get to that point of, oh well, it must be Peter then. She kills Peter, and even that is off screen. Yeah, but you know mm. she kills Peter, and you think, oh right, okay, so that's the deal with it. And then it turns out that, so it's wonderful in so much as even if she, even if she's not killed, she has actually killed the wrong person. She's basically killed. I mean, he's an arsehole, but that's that's pretty much it, you know. You I mean, know, she's I killed was him. still unsure about that because I didn't, because you don't know. So it just it could just as easily be that the killer. Actually, no, it couldn't. No. Because the door's still locked, because they have to smash the door in, don't mm. they? Because yeah, because yeah. until now I'd thought that was why I kept saying the kill is six or seven or whatever, because I wasn't sure whether the killer had killed him and she'd fainted, and then they just no, no, she's up. but no, you're right, yeah, she did kill him, yeah, she's killed him, and again it become that then becomes like it's like a sick joke, and you don't need an explanation of who Billy is. You don't need to reveal Billy because the point of the film is, oh no, you've, yeah, you thought it was him. You've beaten him to death. <laughs> no, it weren't him. Yeah. Mm. And, and admit, and admittedly, you know, he stands accused of crimes against jazz. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, that's the real tragedy. Yeah. You know, that's, who died today? I'll tell you what, music. That's who died today. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Peter murdered music. So Jess murdered Peter. <laughs> That's that. That was the alternate title in um, <laughs> in Argentina. So, but the um, apparently like because obviously there's two remakes of it. There's one from 2007, uh, 2006, and that gives you Billy's backstory. And it's mm. like, and apparently everyone was just like, "Well, that was shit." Yeah, <laughs> because they explained it at the end, and that was kind of like the bit that everyone really likes. Um, one so thing it's funny though, because like you're saying in Psycho, that's okay. So is it just that because this was already set up to be, we're used to it being like that. We now we like that about it, so don't I, want it explained. I, I mean, I, I certainly like that about it. I like, but also I think that in essence, like I say, the point of it is the twist. But the twist doesn't depend on who the killer is. Yeah, because the the just the twist is is mistaken identity essentially. Mm. You know, someone gets wound up. Well, I mean, wound up. I say, you know, a series of dirty phone calls and all her mates are dead. So you know, you're in a <laughs> you're in a heightened state, should we say? Um, but <coughs> so yeah, so I think that the fact that it's like a case of mistaken identity, you don't really need to know more than that. Yeah. Whereas I think they try that by the sounds of it, they try and explain the backstory that it was like 
Billy saw his mum and her lover kill his real dad, and then she mm. locked him in the attic. She had the mother had a kid with Billy, who is Agnes, who then gets mm. badly disfigured when Billy breaks out of the attic and kills the mother and the lover. And this sounds yeah, like it, an absolute dodd. That's a happy how, Christmas. Well, not, not only that, but also, how bored are you by that explanation? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, C- compared to he's still in the fucking loft. Credits. Fuck what? Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a fucking ending. Yeah. And but also, um, and, and interestingly enough, the the actress who played um, Phil um, plays Mrs. Mack in that remake. <laughs> he came nice. back to play Mrs. Mack, which I thought was just brilliant um and then they've done a remake in 2018 and apparently that's like 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 a male fraternity um who worship a god that wants them to um oppress women and and like there's like one of the one of the one of the characters has been raped by one of the guys at this sorority and it's all a bit sort of. I think, I think I can see what they're aiming for because it's 2018. So they're going because there's a lot of, you know, it's the height of the the real big, not the height of, but the beginnings of like Me Too and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I can see, I can see what they're aiming for. But having watched this, I'm like, right. So that's fucking unnecessary because there's no supernatural element to this. I enjoyed this. Yeah, and that just sounds a bit sort of over not only that but also it's that thing we've talked about i think we talked about it on room 101 where it's like yeah if you want to bring that into it but you're also doing basically like some version of american horror story where it's like this frat that worships a god who doesn't like women yeah and then put like rape scenarios into it and stuff like that and it's like yeah a bit much in it for something that sounds a bit tawdry as it is mate exactly so I mean, for something serious and you want to make a, an important political, no, not political, but an important social stance, something mm. like a Clockwork Orange, uh, yeah. Or you want to make a stupid, over-the-top, ridiculous cult slasher movie. But you can't, yeah. do, can't do both. It doesn't work. Where they worship black ooze that comes out of a statue, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's like, well, one or, one or t'other. I was going to say, you can't just take all the cliches and just smash them all together and hope something good comes out of it. I think they probably did, <laughs> to be honest. Um, obviously, I mean, um, Margot Kidd is fucking great as well. Actually, the yeah. entire cast is great. I mean, mm. Jess, yes, I do have a trouble. I do have trouble with her accent, and I, I, I thought she was good though. I, but I think I really she's, I think she's very good. Every, everyone's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone else, everyone in it is great. John Saxon's great, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, just all these people. And, um, but obviously, I wanted to, I, I, I was looking up about um, Margot Kidder because obviously she'd had a lot of uh, trouble in life and stuff like that. Um, and um, I didn't realize it because I knew she died, I knew she died quite recently. She died in 2018. I didn't realize it's actually been ruled as a suicide. Oh, mm. no, I didn't know uh, that either. Yeah, dr- drug and alcohol overdose is what it's been ruled as. Um, but, I mean, she uh, she's... Obviously, this, this film's Canadian, she's Canadian, but she lived in the US for 34 years and became a US citizen in 2004, specifically so she could v- vote against George W. Bush. 
<laughs> which is just girl. beautiful, you know. Um, very, very, uh, very politically minded. She was like civil rights, animal rights, um, uh, LGBTQ, environmental stuff, and everything else like that. She very close friends with Carrie Fisher. Surprise! Mm. You know, like, oh, another trouble alcoholic. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, and then in 1990, she was involved in a really bad car crash that, that her, she had a spinal injury that basically paralyzed her for two years. Wow. I didn't know that. She couldn't, so she couldn't work, went bankrupt and was having a lot of difficulties. You know, she was, she was getting roles, but still it was like, you know, a slow climb trying to rebuild her career. Um, and she basically was diagnosed. She was diagnosed with depression, bipolar, but she refused to acknowledge that diagnosis, or certainly refused to acknowledge the treatment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is again very much a classic scenario of people with those kind of mental health issues often yeah. don't want to or f- don't acknowledge them, sort of thing. Um, and basically, she was at one point this in 1996. She had a really public breakdown. Basically, I think this was the end of the tether sort of thing. She'd been working on an autobiography for three years. Um, her computer crashed due to a virus and she lost three years fucking work. Oh, my God. And obviously, and obviously this is like 96. So we're talking before the cloud, before, you know, I mean, you might want to back up your data, but essentially, yeah. But and back then, how did you? There weren't even, you know, yeah, flash drives back then. So, yeah, exactly, very... you know. And like three years work, that's a fucking stack of floppy disks, you know, or a, yeah. a, a fair yeah. stack of fucking CDs you've had to burn if you've. Yeah, CD writers had, had been out a couple of years, I think. Yeah, that's what I mean. You'd have but... to be cut edge at that point yeah. if you were burning to CD. And it's like, so she lost all, the, lost all the work and she went to try and get, she went to like a data retrieval company. They couldn't do anything about it. And then basically she went missing for four days. Um, she like this was in uh, Los Angeles. She went missing for four days. Um, she was eventually found in someone's backyard hiding under a pile of logs. Mm-hmm. She she chopped all her hair off with a razor, and had some of her teeth knocked out where some good <sighs> Samaritan had tried to rape her. Jesus. So I mean, fucking hell. And then. So, like, the police came and got her. She then went into, like, a mental, mental health, um, host, like, a, a psychiatric hospital, obviously, to recover and everything. And basically, that was the point where she was like, right, I can't ignore that maybe I need to start dealing with mm. my health, my mental health issues. Yeah. Um, and she did. I mean, she returned to acting and she did film TV. She did really... Uh, she. Um, won a lot of awards for stuff she was doing on stage and everything else like that. And, you know, it was a a good turnaround. But like I say, I mean, sadly, it looks like she uh, killed herself in 2018. But this was was quite lovely, but also very Carrie Fisher in a weird way, is she'd lived in Montana at the foot of a place called Canyon Mountain, and she would leave meat out for wolves so she could just watch them from the cabin. Nice. And, and apparently she'd, she'd left like instructions that upon her death, uh, she just wanted someone to put her naked body in a mat, in a duvet, drag her up the mountain and feed her to the wolves that were her friends. 
And I thought, I thought that's that, that's a bit Carrie Fisher. You know? Yeah, he's very an, an extreme an extreme woman, um, but an amazing one. And I think and and it's it's really weird because I do think that the, like even the character she plays in this, you can see, like you said, it's that thing of someone who is destroying themselves with alcohol, but you can see the unhappiness of that. Yeah, even that, though it's, not, it's that contrast, isn't it? Where she's clearly unhappy and is suffering something very serious. Whereas the other woman who's, who's also having alcohol dependency, it's played like a, like a sort of comedy. It's just, yeah. you know, she, she doesn't seem to be suffering any ill effects, but it's just she, every room she, just, she goes into, she's got a bottle hidden somewhere. So she can have a little, it's a cheeky of, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah she, she's tipped over into absurdism. Essentially, mm. she's gone past the demons, and it's now like sort of like it's, fuck it. Does any of this matter? Yeah. No. <laughs> and yeah. but and I think yeah. And I mean, obviously, obviously, famously Lois Lane in the uh, Superman movie. So like, that's that's or, the only films I've seen her in. Well, she's she was in um, she was in the Amity. She's in the original Amityville Horror. She's yeah. in a, mm. a Brian De Palma film called Sisters. Um, apparently, she's in. Uh, Halloween two, like the Rob Zombie Halloween two, couldn't couldn't speak to that. I've not seen it. Um, I have, but I don't remember her being. But to be fair, I did only watch it once. And oh, fair enough. It was but I mean, she, you know, it's been the most hated film <coughs> of about five years, and I was like, I need to see what everyone's on about, and I totally <laughs> agreed with them. So, sorry. yeah. <laughs> Apo- apologies to Adam von Art. Yeah, but, yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> But I mean, again, like I say, I mean, it's, it, it was an incredible career and an incredible lady. And it's just a shame that, you know, that's that's how it ended for her. Yeah. But, say, um, even her role in Superman, Take That Alone, that was already fantastic because that was enough for me to recognise her straight away. Yeah. You know, well, not that, having seen that, Superman for many years, but yeah. It's, well, that's the thing. I think memorable. also Superman, she was just fucking terrific. She was brilliant. Yeah. As long as like, yeah. And that's actually got, similar to Carrie Fisher as well. Like she'd very, been on the films, but really from Star Wars, that's it, done. Yeah. Yeah. Success. Yeah, when you when you've hit your classics, you don't really need to worry <laughs> too much. Yeah. I mean, mind you, I mean, the, the other one that came out that was a bit weird was um the guy, Chris Hayden, who plays Claire's uh boyfriend, mm. the guy in the and at this point, I would like to make a mention to the fact that I was talking to Claire about this, and I thought. His fur coat looks fucking amazing. I said exactly the same. I was like, I wish I people also, could still wear coats like that because I'd have one. I also acknowledged that if I was to wear one, I would look at best gay, <laughs> at worst homeless. Yeah, I don't think I've got the height or the the swagger of Art Hindle to be able to pull that off. If I'm honest, you know, I would look. I wouldn't look like a pimp. I'd look like a tosser. And I think that's the best way I can put it. I but... made exactly the same comment to, uh, <laughs> as, as we said earlier, to a uh, crude rude dude. Like, uh, he put pictures up of him in a snakeskin jacket and he looked awesome. And I was like, if I wore that, I would look like an absolute tosser. He just, some people can just put something on and just make it look good. And other people, it's like, it's just not you. You just look. I'll I'll, I'll be honest. Do you know what I think? I know what Adam's secret is, and that's that he genuinely doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> you that know, goes a long way. Yeah, it definitely does. But um, but yeah. So the guy, yeah, but um, yeah, Art Hindle. 
um, he was in The Void, which suddenly made yeah. me want to watch The Void because I hadn't seen it yeah. for so long. I think the last time I saw The Void was when we covered it. Um, mm. But he was the state trooper who turns up and is going to arrest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like he's going to arrest the main policeman in it yes. who then gets... Um, mm. And so on and so forth. And he's also in The Brood. Um, he's in Porky's. The weird thing was, is there was I had a sort of lightning bolt moment as I'm looking up all these casts and I'm going, an awful lot of these people have been in Cronenberg films. And it's Canadian. like, oh, yeah, because it's fucking Canadian, you bug. That's what I was like. Because, <laughs> like, the, the telecoms guy, you know, I mean, I love those scenes as well. That's something, because yeah. I know it's old. I know it's, like, an old technology thing and everything else like that. But it's so much more dramatic yeah. when someone's mm. running through telecoms yeah. trying to find the line. Looking for a little like moving thing under a box. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's so old-fashioned. Well, I thought that added to the detail level, as always, you mentioned earlier, Adam, because even just seeing him when he arrived at the house and setting up the phone, it's like you didn't need to show that, but somehow I quite liked that level of detail into yeah. like his job because they even made him into a character and, yeah. and that wasn't yeah. particular to him. Yeah, so it definitely added to the whole element of realism. It could yeah. They could have just said, we've tapped the line. Yeah, all yeah. All from the, but yeah, putting mm. him in and like you say, having him running backwards and forwards up those yeah. banks trying to get to the calls before they drop down. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I really liked it. Mm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, overall, I think that this has subverted, this subverted my ideas of what I expected. Mm. And it was certainly better than I expected. I think maybe that helped as well, is that I went in, it's like, it's a slasher called Black Christmas. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> and I didn't. I can honestly say I fucking didn't. No. And yeah, and I enjoyed it. I it, musically, I liked it. The guy, um, the guy did the music for it, a guy called Carl Zitra. Um, he did. He's done most of Bob Clark's other films. Hmm. So he did like. So again, he seems to be much like. That's got to be quite diverse. He's a very adaptive so, guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. Diverse. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, for this, he was put in. I mean, probably inspired by Peter, but he was put in like. Um, like he was tying forks and cones to the inside of his piano so that's why it all rattles and ah. sort of shivers and stuff like that but apparently he also recorded it on a reel-to-reel -reel and just kept poking the reels mm. as he was recording it <laughs> so it would slow it and distort it and yeah and everything else and just thought that's fucking great yeah oh, and one, one, and I liked one that in this I've got to say I know <laughs> about the, you know how much I dislike Goblin for being way too experimental. It worked here. It really mm -hmm. it added to it because it gave the it gave it obviously gave me the mm. effect without me consciously being aware of it. See, this is the thing: is I think that's probably more the problem that you had with Goblin is that it's so fucking there. Yeah, you know, at that, mm. at that point, it's the main character. Yeah. And yes. You know, I'm very much, I'm a happy little camper listening to people yeah. chucking fans yeah, well, into the of grand pianos and stuff like that. <laughs> so for me, it's like, this is fucking great. But I can imagine for a lot of people, it's like, is that a bit loud? Yeah. Does it make no sense? That's, that's yeah. the difference between like making it an experience like that and this making it as, you know, a subtle part of the story to, to drive. It's, yeah, it's what's part of the storytelling mm. rather than part of the story. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. Um, one one last thing that came up when I was like looking up stuff on this, and this just I can't even begin to imagine what this must be like. But the main guy who does the voice on the phone, um, oh, Nick 
Manasso. Um, apparently, there's a version of the film that came out on DVD, and he did an in-character commentary on it as Billy. <laughs> what? So, fuck nuts, what an that's hour and like. thirty-seven minutes of that <laughs> fucking nonsense. Yeah, you know. And I just thought, I, th- I mean, say for example, Bubba Hotep. You've got a commentary on there of uh, Bruce Campbell as Elvis doing yeah. the commentary. And I can understand that. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. They do an in-commentary, uh, in-character commentary, commentary on heard. that. It's, what, it's fucking mm. brilliant. That, yeah, like you say, might find that a bit wearing. Unless, yeah. yes. maybe, but we don't know. Maybe he goes for a more laid-back route and he just starts <laughs> off and it's you just hear champagne being gently poured. <laughs> and it's a Evening, gentlemen. This is Billy. I've calmed down a lot since my days back in uh, back in university, and uh, I'm just going to watch this film of uh, some antics that I got up back to uh, a couple of Christmases ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I d- I don't see this being one I'd go back to. I don't think I'd ever feel the need to rewatch it necessarily. As I say, I I I, I think. Because I did watch it literally, it finished half an hour before we started recording. So I think, like you say, Adam, I disliked it more at the time than I possibly do now, having thought about it and picked it apart a bit. But again, I don't think it's something I'll go back and watch again, particularly. No, that's fair enough. I mean, I'm there's a part of me at the moment, there's a part of me that's thinking next Christmas I'll watch that. But who knows? By next Christmas, I might not even fucking remember watching it. I if, don't if, know. Lee, if you watch the one with the commentary next Christmas, I'll buy you a beer, maybe two. <laughs> right. I that's, feel, that's, that's worth, you know, a beer. Right, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> you don't need to make a note of it. We've got it on tape. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. Um, so, yes. So, uh, we are going next week. Adam has come up. He texted me in the week with a fantastic idea. Uh, he said, seeing as next week is the last one before Christmas, but it is going to be very close to Christmas, um, mm. why not do a film which isn't a Christmas movie, but does have is an anthology with a Christmas segment in it? So Adam has suggested that we cover Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Um, okay. And I couldn't agree more because I've not watched it in a long time and I love that film. Um, so, so you can feel a bit excited then? Like yes, you've got... exactly. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's funny. I did feel, getting ready for this, very negative. Like, I've just done nothing but be negative recently. So it'd be nice to fix that. Right. Uh, so thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we will see you all next week for Tales from the Crypt. Thanks very much. Good night. Night. Good night. Sorry, I missed the last like four minutes of that because it I froze out. <laughs> Claire said she thought it was a bit shit. All oh, right, I'll call. <laughs> yes. <laughs>